I have been doing business continuity and resilience a long time, and I'm going to admit something to you. This week's guest introduces a concept that I have almost completely overlooked throughout my career, personal preparedness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by Bob Keller. I saw Bob speak at a conference recently, and I knew right away that he was the perfect guest for the podcast. Listen this week as Bob explains that corporations need to consider the human element of their continuity plans, why we need to push personal preparedness as part of the BCM program, and the fact that the business is only as resilient as their plan, but the plan is only as effective as the people who run it. Welcome to the Resilience Think Tank. I'm Ashley Guzman, and along with my co-founders, we created the Resilience Think Tank in 2021, dedicated to providing independent guidance and research to the risk and resilience industry. As founders, we're based in Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States, and have a combined experience of over 87 years of helping organizations to become resilient. We are committed to ensuring diverse voices are included in making communities and organizations more resilient. I hope you'll join us. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Uh, You and I met recently at a conference where we both spoke. And so I'm really pleased that you agreed to do this. As uh, uh, soon as I heard you speak, I, I wrote down a star next to your name, and, and I think I went right over afterwards and, and recruited you. So thanks for doing this. Let's start with you telling the listeners a little bit about your background. Excellent. Well, Mark, uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, as you mentioned, my name's Bob Keller. I'm, I'm up here in the New England area. And for a little background, I think professionally, it would make the most sense if I explained where I first started. And that was, you know, emergency management at the local level. And then I built and designed emergency management programs at the federal level for FEMA. And so those emergency management programs are very centric around personal preparedness. And we would go out to the New England states, work with the state emergency management agencies to help them refine their personal preparedness programs whether this is programs like the STEP program, which is Student Tools for Emergency Planning, whether this is America's Preparathon, or whether it was, you know, the CERT, the Community Emergency Response Teams. And those are kind of the, the three larger ticketed items. But beneath all those, there was a lot of preparedness efforts, both in the region and then also at headquarters that I collaborated with and built and designed, and then also promoted within the state. Um, and then depending on how you look at it, I either went to the dark side or left the dark side and went to the private sector. <laughs> um, and that ended up at a financial institution that is uh, quite large, publicly traded, moves up to $17 trillion a day, has 189 different offices, and um, you know is in all over the world. And I was the global head of incident management there. So I really, you know, Classic, drink from a fire hose, you know, learning the system, building the plans, the response plans, learning who the individuals are and the key players. And that was a unique experience. And I am now currently also in the financial institution, but for a smaller privately held institution with approximately 2,000 employees. Um, Previously, my employer had 80,000 employees. Um, So it was a big difference when it comes to size, but 
at the end of the day, incident management, continuity, disaster response, disaster, you know, whatever keywords you want to call, um, we'll just call it resiliency, since that seems to be the, the hit the top board. Yeah. Um, it's very similar across the board and how you implement it. Now, when I went to my previous employer, it was redesigning programs that are already there. My current space is designing a program from the ground up. So it's a different approach. Um, but when it comes to contingency plans and uh, having, you know, incident response plans and everything else, no matter how great they are, I mean, they can be, you know, airtight plans, they can be executed flawlessly, but if you don't have the employees there to execute them, your right. plans are meaningless. And so that's where I went back to kind of my expertise from FEMA and the emergency management world is let's make sure the employees can respond to an incident first in their own house, with their own loved ones, with their neighbors. And if we can help them become more prepared, then they can come back to the office quicker. Not only can they come back to the office quicker, they can come back focusing 100% on the task at hand versus worrying about their kid in college, their pet left at home, or their elderly neighbor or elderly parent. So it really was kind of blending my two expertise into one mm. to make more refined, airtight contingency plans for corporations. Now, I've been doing business continuity and resilience for a long time, and I will admit that I think this whole concept around personal preparedness being part of business resilience, like a key component to business resilience, mm -hmm. I think it's very often, way too often overlooked in, in business continuity. You, you would agree with that? Absolutely. And I have been on the receiving end of you know, pushing continuity plans and, you know, when an incident happens and, you know, senior leadership says, you know, this is a, you know, horrible incident, life safety is, you know, our number one priority. So let's prioritize that. Um, what we'll do is we will put a memo out to inform our employees that, you know, we care about their life safety as a number one priority. And I, you look at them and say, but what are we going to do? You know, these are just words. There's no action there. And so, when it comes to building in personal preparedness into resiliency plans, it really is the selling mark for your contingency program. Because programs aren't projects, they're, they're programs that need to continue to evolve. And you, know, you need to understand your threat landscape and be able to build personal preparedness into them. And so the way that's done is through just you know, common preparedness tactics. You just look at your threat landscape. You know, when you look at the threat landscape for corporations, it's going to be weather events, it's going to be, you know, infrastructure, it's going to be IT, information security. They all take humans to respond to. So what you need to do is look at the human element in the proximity. So if you're up here in New England, you know, there's, you know, snowstorms, there's hurricanes, you know, there are tornadoes. We can probably stay away from, you know, uh, you know, volcano preparedness. Uh, there is wildfire, but you really need to know your element and proximity to design programs for individuals. Let's step back. So you asked the question and, you know, I, I hate it when you go to a conference and the speaker's up there and he asks a question and you're like, crap, I don't know that. <laughs> and one of the first questions you asked was whether I would consider myself a prepper. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. So first of all, what's a prepper and are you a prepper? And can you explain 
what you mean when we talk about the term personal preparedness and maybe a little bit about what you don't mean. Absolutely. No, I, I think it's, uh, we can get right to the point with that. Um, there is a gross difference between a prepper and someone who's prepared. Someone who is a prepper is an individual who buries a school bus in their backyard. And someone who is prepared has the ability to respond to an incident until first responders can arrive. And that's with simple training and simple emergency kits. Now, first responders might take 30 seconds, 30 minutes, a couple days, a couple weeks, but you need to calibrate what you're preparing for and what's the scope of that. So if you're preparing for hurricane season, you know, FEMA says 72 hours is what your kit should call for. So, okay, so three days, I need to be able to shelter in place until first responders are able to arrive. But what we want to do is teach people how to prepare themselves. We're not teaching people how to, you know, put up wire fences and keep the public out and shelter in place in their, you know, shelter in the backyard that's buried. It's, it's simple preparedness tactics. And I would not consider myself a prepper for the record. So you said something there that reminded me of something that happened, uh, I'm going to say maybe a month or so ago at the time of this recording. I was uh, meeting with a client. We were going to have a review of uh, a document that I was working on for them. Uh, when the gentleman came in the room, he just didn't look right. And I said to him, hey, how's it going? And he goes, I'm not well. I'm having chest pains. And I said, well, this meeting is over. <laughs> you know, thank you for coming. I want you to go get checked out. And what that made me realize was, what if he came in that room and collapsed? So to use your terminology here, Am I prepared for that? Was I prepared for that? But it's naive, isn't it, to think, well, I don't have to worry about this stuff because nothing like that's ever going to happen. I mean, that's really a naive approach. Yeah. And, you know, I think if I take a different angle on, on your question and statement is, you know, I think the pandemic really showed people how vulnerable they are to all threats, all hazards, because it was inevitable. Um, not inevitable that you yourself might contract COVID or have a situation, but you know someone. It, it could hit close to home to everyone. Right. Um, and in the beginning of the pandemic, you would find a lot of people saying, you know, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be fine. And individuals have that same mindset with localized, you know, natural disasters. You know, you might not live near the ocean, um, but, you know, Hurricane Sandy, well, it wasn't Hurricane, Superstorm Sandy taught us when it hit the coast of New Jersey, Vermont and New Hampshire had the worst flooding they had ever had in the history. So now you have states not even near waterways flooding from rivers and everything else. So it's really just, you need to be prepared. And this is what FEMA had always said, mm -hmm. prepare for all hazards. You don't prepare for a specific hazard. You prepare for a disruption and whatever that disruption may be, you prepare for all events. Because if you prepare for just one focus, you're going to get blindsided by other elements of other events you need to prepare for. So let's talk about this area of, or these areas where we need to be prepared. Uh, what specific areas do you advocate for people to be prepared? Is it, you know, weather related? You talked about Superstorm Sandy. Is it home evacuation? What's a good approach here? How do we get into that? So I know I'll end on personal preparedness because that's my favorite topic, but I think there's one other step that I want to bridge the gap between your previous statement and this one, and, and that's how to respond in an office. So in my current capacity, you know, we have contingency plans, we have incident response plans, 
But in addition to those, we have how do you respond to a medical event in the office? How do you respond to a fire in the office? How do you respond to an incident when you're on company property? So that's one element, and it has preparedness information in there. But also what I'm passionate about uh, motivating individuals to invest in is personal preparedness. And the personal preparedness items that I would always suggest people to look into are the topics to focus on is to take a step back and look at the trends in your area. Look at what the proximity threats are. So as I said earlier, if you're near the water, you have some you know, additional items you should plan for. If you are in you know, the mountains or the deserts or Tornado Alley, it's all gonna be different. And you really need to cater your kit, your plans, your evacuation routes, your shelter in place locations, all around those focal points. And it's planning for everything, it's all hazard. Um, but start small, you know, Winter weather, everyone's gonna have winter weather, you know, plan what to do there. There's gonna be drought, there's gonna be floods, there's gonna be hurricanes. And just take the top three, take the top five and build out your kits and build out your plans. And when you start doing that, you will realize the goal is to get to all hazard. But as you begin building out these kits and building out these plans, you're gonna realize that 90% of the material is interchangeable between incidents or situations or topics. And so that is how you get to that all hazard preparedness approach. And and there's a couple of things here. So there's a kit, right? A a bag of stuff in it. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, but then there's the plan, a checklist. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the checklist. So uh, again, there's going to be some commonality across different types of uh, checklists, depending on the hazard that you're dealing with. But you recommend starting with something simple, something that absolutely you can relate to. So, so let's just talk about you know a personal response to a situation. Okay. You should have a plan. Your plan is for your family and loved ones. You know, if you can't communicate, where do you evacuate to? If you do need to evacuate, how are you going to evacuate? Is it vehicle? Is it public trans? Is it airlines? Having just you have to think about these items pre-event. Because when the event comes, time is not on your side. You need to just be executing actions the entire time. You can't be doing research. You need to do that research ahead of time. Hmm. And so having a plan with your family. Um, if you go, to, I know I'm plugging FEMA hard here, but I know where all the information is on ready.gov. But they have family communication kits. They have a card that you can use that you can just fill out, keep in your wallet all the way up to like an eight page document for a communication plan. So this is a great exercise for a family. If you just sit down and write, you know, your utility company's phone number, your emergency contacts, your school's contact emergency number. And it just gets you thinking about what if, and that's really what the communication plan is great for. So having that plan personally will make your family more resilient as a plan and the contingency plan makes a business more resilient. Now, when it comes to kits, and I'm using air quotes here, there's mm-hmm. a variety of kits, but the number one I, number one complaint I always get when I speak about emergency kits is I say the word emergency kit, people pull out their phone, they Google where to buy an emergency kit, and it costs $300, $400, $500, which is, in my opinion, a little pricey, but if you can afford it, buy one for yourself, buy one for your elderly neighbor, 
and you have a great kit. But a majority of the individuals I work with can't afford emergency kits at that price point. So what I always tell them is, do you have an old suitcase? Do you have an old Tupperware you don't use? You have, you know, a backpack you no longer use? Well, just get a device or a containment device and go to ready.gov and just go walk around your house and see what's on that checklist that you already have in your house. You'll be shocked at how strong and capable of a kit you can make when you just organize the material into one focal point. And so when you're building kits, I spoke about a 72 hour kit earlier. There's really, there are very specific kinds of kits, but the ones I'm gonna speak about are go bags, vehicle kits, and shelter in place kits. Now, a go bag is going to be a, a more refined kit than your 72 hour kit. Your 72 hour kit's gonna have, you know, water for you and your loved ones in your house to survive for 72 hours. That's enough food for 72 hours. That's enough diapers, first aid, plates, things of that sort that you need. And mm -hmm. don't forget a can opener. I've seen too many kits without a can opener and a lot of canned items. Um, so that's 72 hours and that's for everyone in your house. Now a go kit is when, you know, you get that notice of evacuation and you need to evacuate immediately. You just grab the bag, grab the suitcase, grab the Tupperware, and you throw it in your vehicle or you take it with you on public trams or wherever you have to go. Mm -hmm. And that's your go kit. That's going to be, you know, the critical items that you need for the next, call it 24 to X hours until you get to a new location. Now, the other kit I'm going to speak about is a vehicle kit. This is just items you leave in your vehicle um, in case, like in the the Washington DC area and Virginia area last winter, you know, they were stuck on the highway for 24 hours. That's a long, long time. People run out of gas, they're losing heat, they don't have food. And so having, you know, something real small, like a poncho in case you ever you know, have to change a tire when it's raining, you can just pull the little poncho out of your kit. You're good to go there. Having a, you know, a space blanket or a blanket or having an extra pair of socks or, you know, a winter hat something to keep you warm in case you get stuck in your vehicle. If you, you know, wreck your vehicle or get stranded on the side of the road in winter, how are you going to survive until first responders identify where you are or arrive? But having a kit that lives in your car, lives in your vehicle, and it's not the go bag. It has, you know, the kit has flares, has the tools you need, a flashlight. I'd have one rechargeable flashlight, one flashlight with batteries, and always have contingency plans because one is none during a disaster. I like that. Now, so we're focusing on individuals being prepared, but the link here is that a more prepared individual makes your organization more resilient. Talking to our colleagues in the business mm -hmm. continuity and resilience industry, what are some good techniques to help us, them, communicate the need for personal resilience out to the employee base? You talk about things like sticky communications and things like that. So what are some good techniques that we could be using? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, if I was to summarize it in a sentence or two, is that a business is only as resilient as their plan. And the response plans are only as resilient as the employees. Hmm. So if you have resilient employees, well, now you actually have experts and individuals to execute those response plans at the corporate level and their contingency and incident response plans. 
Because if no one shows up on game day because they're at home tending to their own crisis, your contingency plans are out the window. You're not going to be able to keep your essential functions operational. And so that is where you tie preparedness into your corporate plans. Now, not only are you teaching individuals how to be more prepared, but you're teaching individuals how to fish here. And what I mean how to fish is I don't recommend ever having a corporation just hand out emergency kits because they're just stay in their basement. They won't, they being the employees might not see the benefit of having the kit. But if you can teach them why they need to be prepared, why they need to prepare their pets, why they need to prepare their loved ones, why they need to prepare their house and other items, they will begin to understand and see the importance here and build their kits and build their response plans. And the same goes into the business side of the house. So when there is, when you're rolling out uh, incident management plans and incident response plans for different divisions and businesses within your corporation, if you just gave these individuals, you know, a boilerplate document and said, hey, fill in this here, this here, and this here, and we'll check the box and we've got a good plan. Well, they're most likely going to deliver on that executable. They're not going to take the time to really invest their knowledge and their sector and their expertise and how they need to respond and think outside the box. So starting with personal preparedness is kind of building the foundation and the mindset of, okay, how do I respond? What do I need to do? And that's in the household. And then when you morph that into the business, it's okay, well, how do I need the business to respond? How do I make sure my team can remain operational? How can I keep the essential functions operational? Instead of just handing contingency plans to everyone, let's educate them on how to build them. So when it comes time to execute them, they know them, they own them, they have buy-in on them. And you talked about owning the why, making sure they understand why the the kits and the plans are important and not only important to the business, but important to them individually. You, You told a story when you spoke about Hurricane Katrina and the level of evacuation uh, and I found that to be really interesting. Talk a little bit about that and the main driver for why some people, most people didn't evacuate. Yeah. And um, the number is 44%. 44% of the people did not evacuate during Hurricane Katrina because they were not able to take their animals, their pets, with them on the emergency evacuation vehicles and bring their animals and pets into emergency shelters. I don't know if you have animals, Mark. But, you know, my mother's not going to leave her two dogs and my father, they're not going to leave their two dogs at the house during an incident or leave them on the side of the road. So individuals are going to stay with their animals, with their loved ones. And so when FEMA identified that 44 percent of the people didn't evacuate because of animals, they built out an entire animal preparedness program. And why I like to start with animal preparedness is because it's an easy topic. It's a fun topic. Who doesn't want to talk about pets and dogs? And I mean, you look at social media, that's pretty much all it is. It's people's animals. And so what you can do is you can bridge the gap between preparedness for, say, a very extreme event, like an active shooter event, and a very simple, fun engagement event, like pet preparedness or family communication plans. And so when you look at pet preparedness, there are items like, you know, pet food, collars and ID tags, blankets, toys, enough food to last the animal a couple of days. 
Well, that transfers exactly into preparedness for humans. ID cards, medical cards, social security cards, passports, enough food, you know, it might be a blanket or if you have kids, you want to bring a toy with them. And so start with animals, go to family and then start getting into your more refined, you know, incidents like hurricane, tornado, um, and then, you know, attacks in public places as well. So I want to kind of shift perspective and go back to the business side again and expectations of an organization that's thinking about this properly. So let's say that there's a a community-wide emergency, like a tornado, or for my Caribbean, you know, clients and friends there, uh, a hurricane comes through and there's flooding and things like that. Describe the balance between having people take care of their families and their personal priorities versus reporting to work to respond to a crisis? Yeah. So to to answer the question right out of the gate, I have a difficult time saying it's a balance because I, as much as I'd like to say it's a balance, I think the reality is, is if their family and loved ones are in crisis, that is always going to take priority. And then whatever bandwidth they have left over, they'll be able to return to the office and dedicate to the businesses objectives. And so I think it's really important to understand how individuals prioritize. And so they're always going to prioritize, or I think a majority of individuals are going to prioritize family and loved ones first. So let's help them prepare for when their family and loved ones are affected. And then when they're affected, help them recover. And then once they recover, they'll be able to come back to the office and dedicate 100% of their effort or a higher percentage of their effort sooner and more effectively once they return to office. What you suggest is brilliant because so many times we write the business continuity plan with the assumption that people are robots and they're going to be there. And that's why your quote that the plan is only as effective as the people who are going to run it is is spot on. I really like that. We're running short of time, but I want to give you an opportunity here to fill in any gaps. If there's anything else you'd like to add, around the whole idea of personal preparedness as it fits into business resilience, uh, have at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key elements that I really want to motivate people to do is to utilize the resources that are out there that are free of charge. I've plugged FEMA too many times, but this is why. FEMA mm-hmm. has some great free to the user, to the taxpayer preparedness material. You can go to FEMA's website and order tangible preparedness documents in the hundreds and thousands of documents, and they're mail them to your office, they're mail them to your house, free of cost for your business to utilize. They also, on ready.gov, have more disaster-specific information that a majority of individuals could ever plan for. So when I was speaking about knowing your proximity and knowing what threats and hazards are local to you, well, Take those three, those five, those 10 local disasters, go to ready.gov. And this is from the corporate side I'm explaining now. Mm -hmm. Go to ready.gov, pull the information. Say you want to focus on hurricanes or tornadoes or floods. Take that information and distill it down into what you feel as the incident manager or the contingency planner or the fill in the blank who's ever building the preparedness information and go to your marketing team and go to the communication experts within your corporation and say, this is the message I'm trying to say. 
you as the individual who know how the corporation operates and how they receive and obtain information, try and get to a middle ground and produce a one-page document, you know, front and back, less is more when it comes to this, and then roll out that information to the individuals. Don't spend time trying to reinvent the wheel here. You know, you can go to ready.gov, which is FEMA's site. You can go to, you know, the HHS, you can go to their website, you can go to the FBI, you can get all of this great information that a lot of individuals aren't utilizing when it comes to the preparedness side of the shop. And so that's where I would motivate people to do is go to those federally funded government web pages, mm. all the preparedness information, put your unique information in there too. Um, try and keep it factual and a lot of opinion out, but then also go to the marketing team, go to your communication experts and work with them and find a middle ground and then roll that information out in a campaign to your corporation. And, and one thing I would tie that campaign up with is the federal calendar of events. Bob, this is great stuff. Time has flown by. Uh, if people would like to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I'd say LinkedIn, Bob Keller, and you can find me on that website, send me a message and we can connect there. Bob, fantastic stuff. As we said near the beginning of the podcast today, it's often overlooked, isn't it? And I'm, I'm just happy that you were here to, uh, to shed some light on this. So thanks for being a guest on The Resilient Journey. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mark. And um, hope to keep the relationship alive. For sure. Thanks, Bob. Have a good one. I want to thank Bob Keller for being my guest today on The Resilient Journey. It's always good to have a fellow conference speaker come and share some thoughts. And today's topic about personal preparedness was uh, very interesting for sure. Huge thanks to the Resilience Think Tank for being the sponsor of The Resilient Journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Think Tank, look us up at resiliencethinktank.com. Next week, I'm joined by Larry Walsh as we talk about managing risk in a contentious world. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.